morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Glad we are here. It's amazing. Thank you for that singing. We just sang some wonderful songs about our salvation. Our salvation. Would you turn with us to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. When we were abroad, we were truly in, it was a different kind of a country, I think. I don't think we really quite grasp it here because in America, we pride ourselves with uh, kind of that, there's still this pioneer spirit, you know. Uh, we still have Home Depots and, and Lowe's where we have do-it-yourself all the time. And Americans just have this, uh, they have this culture of wanting to get up and just do it themselves. But we were in a different country when we were abroad, as you guys know, and in that country, it was more of a servant-type country. Um, I, it's kind of hard for me to convey how it is, right? But they really do believe that there are folks who should stay in this kind of a servant role, and that there is, um, um, and that there are folks who should, who should be above them, okay? Now, uh, in America, it's, uh, we always love our American dream where, you would, uh, you know, start from rags and you go to riches and you, you work up through, uh, work up through the ranks and then you become your own self-made man. Well, where we were at, yeah, that is somewhat true because they're starting to become more westernized. But where we were at, it wasn't like that. Uh, in fact, people believed, especially because of the religion, they believed that uh, the station that they had in life was because of the past life that they had before them. So if you were to try to help them, then you would be interfering with their karma. It's really quite an enslaving type of living. I remember when I was with um, uh, Brother Chris, and we were getting picked up at a hotel. We stayed at a hotel at one of the eastern states there. And I noticed, uh, I noticed that... We were waiting for one more guy in the car, and the driver didn't feel like going inside the hotel because he felt like he was such a lower class person that he could not enter into this hotel. And now by our standards, it's a three-star hotel, kind of like a Motel 6, right? Be Motel 6 is a two, okay? Right? By our standards, we're like, well, how does that feel? But he kind of had this hesitation that I can't go in there because I'm just not worthy. I, I remember when I was, uh, I saw this exemplified again. When I was preaching in a shanty town and, and it, it was so hot. They, they, the, it was really a slum church. And what they would do is they brought this aluminum siding. You know that, you know what I'm talking about? Aluminum siding. And they made it, on the roof and so you know the sun would beat on it and it would just conduct heat and it was so hot and it was just right in the middle of a slum and the fans were on and then the power would go out and you'd try to preach and you're gobbing down with sweat and i'm preaching in these slum churches and everyone sat on the floor they were very, very, very poor. You know, the poor in America, they say they're poor. They're not poor. They've not seen poverty, right? I mean, really, really 
poor. They probably ate one meal a day. I forgot what I was preaching about, and I remember I was talking about uh, the vast popularity of the Bollywood stars and their fame, right? And uh, they would smile, and they would think about the Bollywood stars, about how high they are and how venerated they are and um, how excited to celebrate these personalities. And I remember, I remember it as clear as day. I remember their eyes lit up when I said, I'd rather be here with you in this town than with them. And their eyes just lit up like they couldn't believe that. And I, and I, I said, wow, I think there's something there. I don't think this truth has pierced their heart. And, you know, when you're preaching, you have a little bit of give and take with people. You could see if the truth has hit them, they don't quite understand it. So I decided by God's grace, by his Holy Spirit, to press it home a little bit more. And I told them I'd rather be with the royalty of God than with the best man can offer. And I remember the astounded look on their face because you see in the caste system, uh, there's a lowest, lowest form, the lowest caste, it would call it, are the untouchables. They're called the Dalit. Okay? No one ever gave them a second chance or a second glance, let alone acknowledge their existence. And so when you tell them that when you become saved, that now you are royalty, ushered in into the majestic throne room of heaven, that is such a foreign, foreign, foreign thing to them. And, you know, sometimes you can have an unhealthy, just like them, in America, sometimes you can have an unhealthy way of thinking of yourself. Do you know that? Yes, you were dead in your sins. But God never decided, he never said that you should just stay in that mentality. God has made you, in Christ, royalty. That is astounding. Not like Narnia, okay? Chronicles of Narnia, right? Much, much higher than a book. Dead in your sins is only half the story, brothers and sisters. We're going to keep going on. God doesn't want to give you self-esteem. In fact, I think Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your sins. I think that kills your self-esteem. Did you know the Bible does not teach you need self-esteem? Did you know that? In fact, your problem is you esteem yourself too much. But rather, you would be filled with Christ esteem, I guess you could say. That I could think rightly of myself as a forgiven person in Christ. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2 and see how high and how lofty he has brought saints into his heavenly 
places. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, we remember, and just for the context, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, here it is, remember from last week, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised us with him, and seated, are you catching this? Seated us with him, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God gave this passage to you this morning. We've, we're following this, this portion of scripture. We can't cut it out from context but god gave this passage so that you would live a christ glorifying life to its fullest potential and we saw last point uh, last week that if you want to live with maximum glory given to christ you have to let these four truths control you the first one we saw from verses four and five was that you should Walk righteously because God resurrected you. Remember, he made us alive. The second point, and that's all we're going to look at today. Okay, And as I've been studying this, I just don't feel like we could move on very quickly. These are very, very rich and full, uh, very, very rich and full passage. This is a very, very rich and full passage. We have to take our time. So the second point, which is going to be our focus here, is, is going to be our concentration is here, number two, if you're following along with the notes, focus heavenward because God raised you. Okay? Focus heavenward because God raised you. And the doctrine that is being taught in verses six and seven is glorification glorification okay so the first one remember from last week was walk righteously because god resurrected you and that is regeneration the second point of this very very long sermon okay that we're taking our time is to focus heavenward because god raised you remember the text raised us up with him and seated us with him this is the doctrine of glorification glorification now um, there's a diagram I want to show you. It, you guys, on the if you flip over on your on the other side, okay. Before we talk about what glorification is, what I want to do is to just kind of have it in buckets so that we can see what this salvation means. I like diagrams. Do you like diagrams? I like diagrams. It helps me to think. Okay, it helps me to contemplate of where we're at. And so when we talk about salvation, okay. Um, when someone says, I just got saved, now I'm not going to correct them and say, hey, what do you mean by saved? Are you talking about justification, regeneration? Are you talking about glorification? Because that didn't happen yet, right? I'm not going to go and throw a wet blanket over their excitement, okay? 
But when we say salvation, Paul is unraveling for us that it isn't simply the time when you repented, when you had faith. This whole salvation, going back even to chapter 1, when he says, blessed are, blessed is the God and Father, has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And now he's unloading all this doctrine because all this doctrine now is going to fill you. It's going to control you. It's going to dominate your thinking and it's going to dominate your heart so that you're fully convinced of his undying love for you. And so if you remember in Ephesians chapter 1, this is called, um, we call it the order of salvation. Some people call it the golden chain of salvation. Do you remember in Romans chapter 8? Those who he, what is it? I think he justified. He pre, those who he predestined, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. It's the same focus of people. But I think it's helpful for us to have this diagram, and I think I'll probably keep it in here, because it allows you to see where we're at. Paul doesn't necessarily go in order. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you remember, if this is going to be your life, what happened is before the foundation of the world, God set his affection on you. He knew you'd never turn apart from him. He is the master of all possibilities that could ever occur, but he knew that you would never turn to him. And so he set his affection on you. And so what he did was he elected you before the foundation of the world. Remember, in kindness, in love. And then we have here the gospel call. That's when someone preaches or that's when someone shares the gospel. And then even in between that, there is this effectual call where someone actually hears. But what occurs here is what we talked about in verses, what is it, um, in our last week, last week in verses uh, 4 and 5, he made us alive. That is regeneration. That's being born again. Okay, And in this section, all of this comes simultaneously. Okay, When you are born, you are converted immediately. What happens is your nature finally is made alive. Okay, And because your nature is made alive, and now your eyes see, you step out in faith, and you grab Christ, you look toward here. If this was the world where you were chasing the world before, okay, you're desiring after the world. When you are made alive, your eyes are open. You see the world for its sinfulness. You see yourself as as your uh, as for its sinfulness, and then you see Christ and you turn. And now you have faith and you chase after Christ. You pursue Christ. And what your back has done is it has turned away from the world. So now, because you've been regenerated, you look at Christ, you have faith in Christ, and you turn away from the world. And that's what conversion is. Justification, we're going to see in the next few verses, right? For by grace you have been what? Saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so that's going to be there too. We have adoption. You can see that even in Romans chapter 8. What all of this occurs and all this is simultaneous when you become saved. Okay. Boom. Right. And then we know here that this is the process through life. Okay. 
that as you are saved, you start to grow in righteousness and holiness and sanctification. You grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. That is yours. The desire for that is yours. The pursuit of that is yours. The power for that is yours. And then after you die, the Bible says what? You will be glorified. And that's what we're talking about today. Okay. So when we talk about salvation, when we talk about salvation, it is this rich umbrella of blessings that God has for the believer. Okay. okay. That's, that's it. Thank you. Now, notice he says here, so we're going to talk about, um, you, you have it in your sheet there. We're going to talk about glorification. Glorification. And he says this in verse 6 and 7, right? And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice, first, first point is your grand position, okay? Your grand position. Notice, it says here, raised us up with him, seated, seated us with him. Now, the tense, it's, in a, it's what we call the aorist tense, and this describes the absoluteness and the certainty of its occurrence. Paul is talking about it as if it has already taken place. And he has done this in other places as well. Notice in Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. And you'll see how he connects all these blessings of salvation that the believer has. Okay? In Romans chapter 8, in the text that our brother read, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know this verse, right? We always go to it when we're in trouble. right? Romans 8. 28, right? I don't know anyone who goes here when it, everything is going good. You only go there when everything is going bad, right? Romans 8, chapter, 20, uh, 8, chapter 8, verse 28. He says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then in verse 29, those who he foreknew, okay? There is a group of people that he's going to talk about all the way through. He doesn't change the group of people. This group of people all have these same blessings. Okay. They all have this package of salvation. They all have this umbrella of blessing. He says here, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And this connected to things that are not, these are connected to trials. Okay. He says, those who he foreknew, He's causing all things to work together for his good. And what's your encouragement, Paul? Well, he's causing you to become conformed to the image of his son, right? So he has, he has uh, foreknew you. He predestined you. He's caused you to be conformed. That's sanctification. So that you would be the firstborn among, uh, firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, and these whom he also predestined, he also called. That's where we have the gospel call. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those are those who he's called innocent and perfectly righteous. And those whom he has justified, he also glorified. Again, it looks like here, past tense. Okay. And what God is saying here is that this transaction and this fulfillment 
It's as good as done. I remember we had a <laughs> we had a friend um, back in uh, where we were at. We had a friend in India. Whenever we asked him for a favor, he was a faithful servant. And I'd ask him to do something for us. He would say, done, done, done. <laughs> right? I, and then <laughs> I would try, no, no, no. I, I, and I know it's hard. Done, 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 done. He would stop me before I would even finish my sentence. He'd just say, done. Now, what is he conveying to me? Okay. As much as humanly possible, right? Angelo, I will be faithful and it's, it's going to be com uh, completely and utterly finished. Okay. Now, positionally, God has called us. And God has already, right? We are in position because of Christ. We are with him. Right? But in glorification, brothers and sisters, it's as good as done. And when we are there with him in glory, are you following? When we are there with him and in glory, he will reveal his kindness to us over and over and over and over again. I think sometimes um, some reformed pastors, they love to talk about sin and depravity and we have to do that. But you also have to talk about the love of God because it just overwhelms. I'm not shy about that. Saints, he loves you. Amen? He loves you. I think he tells you he loves you in Scripture so much because you forget that. Right? You start thinking, oh, man, I messed up again. Or, oh, uh, uh, I'm, not as, I'm not as holy as brother so-and-so. I'm not as good as brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. They're just more fruitful than me. What about me? I have nothing to contribute to the kingdom. What are you saying? He's brought you in the heavenlies. You're seated with him. You see, it causes you to have a right view of yourself. The Ephesians believers, some of them were being persecuted. Some of them were um, being, uh, uh, having their stuff seized from them. And a lot of them, you will, you will have doubts. You will have uh you start to think, maybe am I doing this right? Am I following the right path? Because look, everyone else seems to be doing better than I. Look at me. I'm just a lowly person. Brothers and sister, you are a prince. You are a princess in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Now, it's done. Now, turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look, about, look at this, raised us up with him and seated us up with him. And it's very important to understand that you do not raise yourself up. You do not earn this. You do not earn this position. Jesus did the work and you got brought in with him through faith. Okay? Connected to him through faith. But you notice he also says it's not just raised us up with him, but it also talks about being seated, okay? Being seated. It says here, raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, being seated has two components that you have to listen, you have to understand, okay? Seated means authority. Why? Because where do you sit? 
you sit on a throne. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, you don't have to turn there. He says, if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seating Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is sitting at the hand of favor of God on his throne in authority. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 says, Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to to him. We exist under that authority. We exercise under that authority, that borrowed authority. But seated also means uh, one other component. It's not just authority. Seated also means finished work. Finished work. Okay? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, when Jesus is talking about the sacrifice, he says, when, we talk, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about the sacrifice, he says, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. After Jesus is done, it is completed. In that completed work, he sits at the right hand of God. He doesn't have to stand. He doesn't have to work anymore. It's all done. And in that, because we've been brought with him, we rest in that completed work. Forever and ever. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. Remember, author, that means he starts our faith. Perfecter means he finishes our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there is authority and there is finished work. And then he says here, in the heavenly places, this is a place that transcends creation where God rules. It is a place that is away from sin. You notice this is in, uh, this is in comparison, this is in contrast to what he just said. This is the heavenlies. This is where God dwells. This is where God is. He says here, in contrast to verse Chapter 2, verse 2, notice. In which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to what? The prince of the power of the air. Here on earth, where we are at, uh, what he's saying is that the devil has some kind of controlled dominion over the earth. Controlled under the dominion of Christ. And what he's saying is here, that is only a temporary thing, and he can penetrate and save people right through it. He, and that's why he says, what? But God being rich in mercy. But here, what God is saying is, in the heavenlies, in the privileged part, in the part where God dwells and his glory, glory is seen freely and openly, where God rules without sin, that is where you will be with me. I think MacArthur said it very, very succinctly. He said it this way. We are justified. We are saved from the penalty of sin. Okay. When we are sanctified, we are saved from the power of sin. And in heaven, in glorification, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. 
Amen. In the heavenly places with God. He says this in Ephesians 1, 3 as well. Blessed be the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1, 20. Look at verse 20. Which he brought us about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And three other places in Ephesians as well. He says in Christ Jesus, our right view of self in relation to Christ. This can only occur by way of Christ, because of Christ. And this only occurs if we are trusting in Christ. Now, I remember uh, Wednesday, we had a home fellowship at our house. And Rena was uh, reminding me about the uh, illustration of the worm. You guys remember that? We were talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And before Christ, we were just like a worm in a barrel, and God rescued us. Now, if you notice in verse 4 and 5, it's such a contrast to what we were before. Now, we were, we were in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we were in the lowest of lows, correct? Now, in verse 6, we are in the highest of highs. And if we were going to continue on with this metaphor, the worm became king. In Christ. Did you hear that? The worm that should have been left in the gutter became joint heir with Christ, is given full access to Christ. I don't like to leave people in that one stage of the bad news because that's only a part of it, right? There is rich, rich good news. You know what? Can I just tell you guys something? And maybe I might be talking about something you're going through, or maybe not. I don't know. Okay. But if you're dealing with, maybe you think about yourself a little too much, and you deal with your self-image. Okay. And I think uh, maybe I, maybe I'm out of turn saying this, but I think us guys we don't deal with that as much. Okay. I know our sisters may be dealing with it, okay? Because the world tells you how you ought to be and how you ought to look and how you ought to dress and how you ought to, what kind of bodies you should have and what kind of bodies you shouldn't have. Uh, us guys who are married, we just kind of don't care anymore, right? We kind of work out if we can, but, but you know what? I, there's tremendous pressure, and I didn't understand it until I saw sisters struggling with what? With bulimia and anorexia, right? Because why? Because they loved, they've been bought into the lie and that their image, their self-image and their body and how they look is more important, okay, than who they are as a person in Christ. 
let me tell you, let me tell you, sisters, you don't have to look at me. You can look somewhere else, okay? I don't have to look at you. I don't know where you're at, okay? Let me tell you, you dwell on this. You are Christ's royalty with him. You are a princess with him. You are royalty with him. Men, if you feel like you haven't succeeded in life or maybe you haven't gotten into the highest echelons of profession, maybe you were, you're focused on becoming a CEO or you're focused on becoming a general surgeon or something like that, and you have that image of where you ought to be and you never got there, you know what, brothers? Can I tell you this? Put that down and realize this real image of you that God has given. And what is that image? That you are a prince in his kingdom. Do you see how now, before we're talking in abstract, and now you see now, this is how it changes. I don't have to beat myself up. Do you see? I don't have to torture myself because I am not the way that people want me to be in this society. I am royalty. I am a son and daughter of God. Now there's a balance there, isn't it? On the one hand, you're sorry and you're repentful of your sin. You know you'd be nowhere without him. But you know, on the other hand, in Christ, you are a son and a daughter of God. You are in his family. Nothing can change that. Amen. Amen. Dwell rightly on how you ought to be. This is why theology is amazingly practical. Do you see that? Do you see it now? Are you with me? Okay. It bans and it throws away all the GQ magazines and Cosmopolitan. It throws it all away. Why? Because they can't touch you. You understand? No one can get close to you. I don't care how much you're at Planet Fitness, Nelson. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't care how much you're at the gym. I don't care how much you work out. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care any of that. They can never make you higher than what God has done in Christ. You are in the heavenly places. You are seated with royalty. You sup at his dinner table. What's astounding is not just his great position, but his grand purpose. Notice he says here, his grand purpose, it isn't simply just to give you a position because, you know, he thinks you'll leave unless he gives you a position. You know? we, we should give this something to, some, something to do or else he's going to leave, right? It's not that. Notice he says here, raised us up with him, seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, notice what he says. He goes, what? So that, 
in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so in verse 7, he starts it out, what we call this a purpose clause, okay? And the purpose clause is just simply telling you why he does it. So that, it's a very, very simple clause, okay? And the reason why God has brought you up into the heavenlies, if you know Christ, right? The reason why he's brought you into the heavenlies, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness, grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, his grand purpose is to reveal his kindness to you forever and ever. Do you understand? Now, he says this in order in that the ages to come. Now, this is not the kind of uh, verbiage that is used for, okay, this is heaven and this is the present state. What it's more emphasizing is in the ages to come, the emphasis here is that as, if we could say, eternally, eternity rolls, as it continues to roll, he will continue to show how kind he is to you. It's like the waves when you go out there, it, they just keep going. You ever try counting? It's useless. And as time goes by, brother and sister, he will continually show you how kind he is. He will continually be expressing it in Christ Jesus. He will continually say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I gave my son for you. And when you feel full, he'll keep going. And he says, what is he going to show? He says, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The word there, to show, means to point out, to indicate, to demonstrate, to manifest, to display. He is saying this about himself. Young people, why does God do anything? For what? For what? Why does he do anything? For his glory. And he's doing this for his glory. Yes, he is. He is doing this for his glory. But who are the benefactors of it? It is us. The word there for kindness means gracious goodness, benevolence. And then the word there for surpassing means extraordinary, abundant, to go beyond, to surpass all measure, to go beyond all comprehension. The root word means to throw beyond. Okay? To throw beyond. Uh, sometimes we say this in, even in our vernacular. If you're given a task and you did a good job, someone might say, man, you hit that one out of the park. Thanks, man. And we all know what that means because of baseball. You didn't hit a single, okay? You didn't hit a double. You didn't hit a triple or an infield home run. When you hit that ball, it went up and over the bleachers, past the arena walls, past the parking lot, into someone's yard. It was more than sufficient for a run. And what God is saying is, I will give you overly abundant, surpassing experience, knowledge, consciousness, that I always have a heart of kindness to you forever and ever, brothers and sisters, when you first repented in Christ. That's all you will know is kindness, his goodness, 
He will never change. Don't think, oh man, I got a flat tire. God must not love me. I've got a relative who will remain nameless. They have a child, okay, a little boy. When their mommy or daddy tells them to do something that he doesn't like, he says, you don't love me. Right? Why? Because he doesn't like it, right? It has nothing to do with love. What? Kid, the child, simply just says, well, you need to go, you need to go uh, clean out, put your plates away and make your bed. You don't love me. You don't love me. Why? Because it's disagreeable to me. That's why you don't, you don't love me. Oh, brothers and sisters, we can be like that child sometimes, can't we? Something wrong happens, right? Right? You're, uh, you get a flat tire. Your membership of your AAA cancels. While you have that flat tire, no one's going to come and get you. Uh, you can't get, a, can't get your car out of this trailer because the winch is locked down, right, Dre? Right? You can't, this thing's just not working. Oh, oh, God, you don't love me. Childish. Childish. That's childishness. That's immaturity. That's where I'm at sometimes. Is that weird? Isn't that, when, when we have this, guys, brothers and sisters, when you have this, salvation of election, justification, sanctification, regeneration, faith, repentance, glorification, and you say you don't love me, you are being silly. You're just being silly. He loves you. And he's spent, and he's going to spend eternity expressing it to you. My wife knows I love her, but she goes, sometimes I just want to hear it. Just tell me. I want to, I want to hear it. Just tell me. All right, honey, I love you. I love you. She just wants to hear it. You know, let me tell you something. God will keep expressing it to you. Wave after wave after wave as eons go by. And the angels will look and say, what in the world did God do that he would love such foul sinners Bring them into the heavenlies and show love to them. Amazing. Some folks say that he uh, wants to reveal how loving and merciful and kind he is. Not because he's a lonely God. That is so far from the truth. He doesn't need anyone. God is never lonely. He's the self-existent one. But second, here you are the obvious recipient. You will forever be a walking. Eternity and creation will look at you. Will look at you, Brother Jeremy, Sister Marlowe, Brother Nelson. They will look at you as the recipient of grace. And they will be looking at you as a walking demonstration of his love and kindness. Of a trophy of God. 
His love and kindness will be fresh and new for all eternity as he will be revealing different aspects and degrees to you forever. This is so hard even to fathom. We have not seen love like this from any normal human being. Love songs ain't got nothing on this, you understand? Rom-coms on Netflix ain't got nothing on this kind of love. Do you understand? Creation will glorify God because of his kindness seen upon a rebel like you. God's grace and love is beyond what you can fathom. You will forever experience the kindness and hospitality and generosity and warmth of God forever. You're never going to wear out God's welcome in heaven. Amen. Forever and ever, he will be displaying, displaying and expressing and reaffirming and demonstrating his love. Do you realize from the moment of salvation, all you'll ever know is this kindness. Kindness that he has brought you to such a high and lofty position. Brothers and sisters, have a right view of yourself and of God. Okay? Don't be caught into this guilt that the world gives you. Don't look down upon yourself that you shouldn't be. Because all you're ever going to do is fear and cowardice, just like that driver who can't even go into the hotel. When you step up to minister, here, this is where, it's, this is where it lands, okay? When you step up to minister and your sins are screaming against you, remind yourself that they are in Christ and you are a child of God forgiven. And be firm in that. Brothers and sisters, God desires and he loves you and he will show his kindness to you in his throne room forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can trust in you and that you will continue to reveal your kindness to us forever and ever. God, we haven't even plumbed the depths of this yet. Why are you so kind to us? Lord, help us to think rightly of ourselves in Christ. Our identity is not what we do. Our identity is not our nationalities. Our identity is not our race, our economic standing. Our identities is wrapped up in Christ. That's all we are now. We've been brought in with him. We've been raised up with him. We are seated with him. We are princes and princesses waiting for the coronation. All creation groans for that time. Thank you that we have a confidence. Lord, I pray that every saint here who knows you would be confident in their relationship because of what Christ has done once again. I pray those who don't know you would come to grace. Stop fighting. Lord, I pray if those who are struggling, who are beating themselves up because they think of themselves lowly, I pray they would give that up. That's a sin. That they would think rightly and let truth uh, clean their mind. That they are a son or a daughter of Christ. A son or a daughter of God himself. We thank you. 
Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.